Christmas is upon us. Thanksgiving is over. We've entered the Christmas season. Retailers uh, entered it about three months ago, and we're catching up. What is the Christmas season? What is Christmas after all? Have, have you really just stopped to think about it? What is Christmas? Uh, what is your hope that will happen during December as far as Christmas is concerned? What are your Christmas uh, dreams? Is your Christmas dream kind of this nice little holiday, kind of a neat little package where all the parts fit together perfectly? <laughs> Good luck with that. Uh, do we wish that December could be a wonderful, stress-free month with a dramatic finish on December 25th? Good luck with that. Uh, this was not true in the first Christmas, and it's not been true of any Christmas I've ever experienced. There are always some aspects to it that were unpredictable, some things that were, we just call them drama, uh, <laughs> things that happened that, that uh, you were not planning for. And in the first Christmas that we read about in the Bible, it was not a simple, unencumbered story, was it? Uh, not simple at all. The birth of Jesus was full of all kinds of, of conflict and drama, and not everyone wanted Jesus to even be born. Uh, the birth of Jesus was something that people uh, didn't know about, or they resisted it if they did know something about it. Few could have understood what it was uh, was really going on, what God was up to. Uh, even the prophets weren't so sure about it. Uh, you know, the prophets had been preparing things. They had glimpses. They had uh, ideas that God had given them, words from God that they spoke directly, but not always so sure about what that meaning would be, how it would plant, work out. And, and uh, so they were surprised in some ways. And it was only later that we could see what they said and how it fits so neatly with what God did. Isaiah, for instance. Remember, he said this. He said, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And we will call him Emmanuel. But do you really think that Isaiah knew all the circumstances of what that would mean? You know, what is that going to look like when this virgin has a son and we call him Emmanuel? And as we try to put together what God did, sometimes we end up with questions. Questions about God's plan and what Jesus' birth meant for this old world. And I wonder, you know, why did God make Jesus' coming so mysterious and yet so simple? And there are these questions we have. So this month, we're going to be looking at some of the questions. Uh, questions like this. Uh, who's the father? <laughs> Everybody had that question. Who do those foreigners think they are? You know, and so we'll talk about the wise men and why are they in this story? And why are these stinky shepherds here after all? You know, they didn't get invited to this party, did they? And why is the king in a manger, you know, in a feeding trough? How can one gift possibly be for everybody? You know, just different questions that come out of this. And yet in all of them, we see God working in an amazing way. And I hope that you'll be able to be here for for all of these messages as we look at the different characters, the major characters within this Christmas story. Now, why is this important for this year, for us to do this? Well, because our world has changed. If you're not aware of it, our world is a world of conflict, a world of suspicion. Today's world is a world of open mockery of what is good and right. 
and no bones about it, no embarrassment. We'll just say what we think. We don't like God. We don't like what God stands for. We don't like Christians. And often Christians have become the object of attacks and false accusations of many kinds. And when we try to stand up for what is right, when we try and speak the truth into such a culture, often we are declared intolerant and labeled hate mongers. When we say that the Bible is the only authoritative word of God and that Jesus is the only way to God, we become objects of criticism. Some of this amounts simply to bullying because our enemy, you know, he, he wants us to try and, and uh, lay off a little bit, you know, to, to uh, back off, to back down. And sometimes that works. You know, somebody gets in your face and somebody calls you a certain thing, people retreat. Do not take the stand maybe they were taking before. And I want us to look at part of that story today that focuses on Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph that lived a life in the face of some pretty uh, difficult circumstances. Things kind of piled up against them. I want us to take a deeper uh, look into their lives uh, uh, these people who, who served as Jesus' earthly parents. We often see them, you know, in our nativity scene. They're hovering over the baby Jesus in the manger. And they always have kind of this angelic look about them, don't they? You know, that's how the artists portray them. And, you know, maybe a little halo over each of their heads. I don't know why they do that. But they're looking down on Jesus adoringly. And they've got this, this kind of this serene smile, this calmness about them. This is this is difficult time for them, but sacred time, beautiful time, and and they they see the shepherds come in, you know, and they had no idea they were coming, and how did they find them? And then some months later, the wise men come. I mean, their the whole life is is like this this uh, unpredictable, un, uh, amazing story, but they look so calm, so peaceful. What did they know that we don't? What did they know that we have yet to learn? What, what might they be able to share with us about their experience of life? Christmas is the tale of a young maiden named Mary who suddenly finds herself pregnant without a husband. Immediately, suspicions run rampant and accusations quickly follow. Up until then, Mary was known as a good girl, probably the best girl in her village, in her town of Nazareth. She always obeyed her parents. She was known as being a person that was seeking God, wanted to understand, wanted to grow in her awareness, her spirituality, as you might put it. And all of a sudden, young Mary is pregnant. Most females in that culture married when they were only 12 to 14 years old. That's kind of hard for us to imagine, but it's a different uh, society in those days, and people grew up quickly, became parents quickly. Males got to wait a little while, Maybe they didn't marry until they were 18 or 20 after they had worked for a few years, saved up a few dollars so that they could afford to have a family. And think how quickly Mary and Joseph's life changed in a moment with some news. Mary was a person of such high quality that Almighty God chose her from among all the women of earth to be the mother of His Son, the Son of God. She must have been a pretty remarkable young lady. No one more virtuous could have been found. Perhaps you remember the angel of God's greeting to Mary. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And yet, 
she finds out she's going to be pregnant before she's married. Her poor husband to be Joseph was a righteous man who got blindsided by this news. He had always acted honorably toward his bride-to-be when suddenly she came and announced she's pregnant. Have you ever stopped to think about the gravity of their situation in a small town? You ever live in a small town? Everybody knows everybody's business. There's no hiding anything. Anything that goes on, especially of a negative quality, everybody will know by the end of the day. How long could she have kept this a secret, what the angel announced to her that day? Both of them were living according to God's plan. Unlike so many people today, they had remained sexually pure until they could get married, never violating that. And they had reserved sex for marriage. Matthew is very clear to state to us that no sexual union had occurred. In fact, so committed to sexual purity were they that they had no sexual relations until after Jesus was born, even though they had gotten married in the meantime. Neither of them had ever been guilty of premarital sex with each other or anyone else, and yet here they were. Everyone saying, who's the father? And everyone thought they knew. Imagine your life if you were marrying Joseph. Mary and Joseph's world became unglued at that moment. So let's go to the Bible today, and let's read their story, both from Luke and from Matthew. Luke, chapter 1, Matthew, chapter 1. Let's start in Luke, chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her, and he said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. Hmm. Mary. John the Baptist's mother was named, what, Elizabeth? And the announcement of the angel is that she's already pregnant. Um, Mary probably didn't know that, even though they were related. They were some distance away from each other. They didn't have internet. They didn't have phones. They couldn't text each other. And it would only be at the announcement of the angel that she would learn that this much older, barren cousin, second cousin, was pregnant. And that was a sign that God was in this. God was working. God was doing something miraculous here. And by the way, Mary, you're the next step. You're the next phase of what God is doing here. She's pledged to be married to Joseph, an upstanding young man, but their wedding is still months away. Mary's still a virgin, never having sexual relations with any man. If you were the angel Gabriel, how would you have delivered the shocking news to this young girl? What would you have said? The very appearance of angels usually cause fear and bewilderment. And so he decided the best way to approach her was to assure her of God's favor and blessing. Even then, it says, Mary was greatly troubled by his appearance and the greeting he gave her. Now, down to verse 30. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Here's the big news. <laughs> you will be found. Uh, with child, and you'll give birth to a son. And you're to give him the name Jesus. He will be great. And he'll be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. 
and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Now this would be a lot to take in, don't you agree? It would be nice to hear that God was pleased with her, but that the very next words that come out of the angel's mouth is that Mary would be pregnant and give birth before she was married. Now getting pregnant and giving birth was part of her dream, the dream of every Jewish girl at that time, but not before they were married. The angel went on and he told her some other things, that the child would be the Son of God and that he would sit on the throne of King David and that her, he would rule over a nation forever. Poor Mary, she's, she's still back at the first words. You're going to be with child. She got stopped right there. Let's go on, verse 34. How will this be, Mary asked, the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. Hmm. It's only fair that Mary would be incredulous, the news. It was a physical impossibility, wasn't it? How, how would this be possible? didn't make sense. You know, at times, God spoke to other people down through human history. And sometimes they rejected the message. They, they didn't like what they heard from God. And so God then would correct that individual that was rejecting the message. It just, just I don't like what you're saying. Remember Sarah. Remember Sarah laughing, you know, in kind of the doorway of the tent as the angels announced that she would have a child by that time the next year. And she's 90 years old. And so she, she's laughing herself. Yeah, yeah right. Remember when Jonah was, was brought before God and God said, I want you to go to Nineveh, your enemies, and preach that they need to repent. They just might. And Jonah says, I'm not going to them. And he ran the other way. And so God caused him to be swallowed by this great fish and all the rest of that story. Remember Zechariah here in the same big event of God. John the Baptist's father. When he discovers that his wife, who's elder like Sarah is going to get pregnant and they're going to have a son and he's going to be raised as a Nazarite and he's going to be the forerunner to the Messiah and all of this and, and he doubts it. And so he's struck dumb. He's unable to, to speak until John's actually born into the world. This might have been what happened with Mary except that Mary's question is not a question of doubt. She's not saying, God, don't, don't ever do this. She says... How? How could this be possible? I'm a virgin. So the angel was happy to explain. He said, your pregnancy is going to be different than most, than any. It's going to be a miraculous thing, a supernatural thing. God will do something He's never done before. And by this He explained to her that this is the way that the Son of God would be incarnated. How the how the Creator would become a part of the creation. He would be the Son of God. And we know Jesus was the only God-man. He was the only one that was fully God and fully man. By becoming a human being, God became subject to all of our human frailties. And yet He lived His life without sin. In that way, He could be the perfect sacrifice in order to take our sins upon Himself and be the means of our forgiveness. Well, how, how could 
Mary possibly understand what was God up to. And yet, verse 8, we read one of the most amazing verses anywhere in Scripture. She hears the news. She asks the question, how is this possible? He explains, and she says to him, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you've said. And then the angel left her. Pretty amazing. I'm very impressed. I'm impressed, faced with the shock of an unwanted, inexplainable event she would never dream of participating in. She said, may it be, as God said. I am just the Lord's servant here, whatever he wants. I admire her faith. I admire her surrender. Don't you? But then she had to tell her husband to be. That was a little more difficult, even yet. I'm sure that was not an easy conversation. Not to mention having to tell her parents and his parents and and then their friends. Now, we're not privy to Mary and Joseph's conversation. Not even that maybe they didn't have a conversation until later. Maybe until after he found out and then she's trying to explain things. uh, Matthew's Gospel only says this, that Mary was found to be with child. So let's turn over to Matthew 1. Let's turn over to what it says there. We don't know what she said. And hopefully, Joseph heard it from Mary first before it spread like wildfire. Nevertheless, the news is a shock and difficult for him to accept. Now, men, let me ask you this this morning. Let's say you're engaged to be married. The wedding is about three or four months away, maybe a year away, and then your bride-to-be, your fiancé says, I've got something to tell you. And the word she says, you, you just can't believe her coming out of her mouth. I'm pregnant. And you know, couldn't possibly be your child. No way. And you have to hear that news. All the logical explanations, the ones that you could possibly explain in the realm of human experience, are not good ones. You don't like the answers of why it would be. And this is where Joseph is. So let's look at the scripture in Matthew 1, starting at verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place, Matthew says, to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph awoke, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Now we can easily understand Joseph's reaction. His initial reaction is to divorce her. Now in their concept, an engagement was as if you were already married in a sense. It was assumed. It was you know, planned for, it was almost a done deal, except to actually have the ceremony for you to live with each other, to, to start staying together. 
And so when you broke that, it was a divorce. And it was his right to do that. The law of Moses stated that someone who had premarital sex should be stoned to death. But thankfully by this time, that rarely occurred. More it was stigma and shame and embarrassment. And everybody is condemning you for what you have done. You have violated the law of God. And she had to live with that rather than be stoned to death. So Joseph is looking at it, first of all, how can I protect myself? How can I protect my reputation? I'll just divorce her. But then he's considering that he does love Mary. He doesn't want her to be hurt any more than she has to be. So I will do this as quietly as I possibly can. That's his plan. And there were also financial considerations in this that we may not understand in our culture. If he divorced her publicly, he recouped the bride price that he had paid at their engagement. He had put up some money and he would get it back because she broke the covenant. And Mary's family had put up a dowry. And that was also his to receive if she broke this covenant, would not get married because now she has gotten pregnant by someone else. It becomes his money as well. So if their financial was thing in his mind, he would pursue that. He doesn't pursue that. He pursues a solution that is good for both of them, as best as they can make of an impossible situation. Thankfully, the angel intervened. Thankfully, the angel also appears now to Joseph and tells him the truth. He tells him what's really happening. He confirms Mary's story, that she has not had sex with any other human being, that she has been miraculously, supernaturally impregnated. And now this child is growing in her, and he will be the Son of God. He didn't care what other people would think. You know, people will think whatever they're going to think. But I know the truth. And I'm going to live in that truth. I'm going to walk in that truth. And that will be enough. So Mary and Joseph face the music together. Suspicions, the hushed accusations of sin uh, in their lives begin almost immediately. Some of these suspicions, I think, follow them the rest of their lives, don't you? You know, you're in a small town. You're in a, in a, a, a culture where people thrive on gossip, you know, and, and relaying these things. People in that town never forgot when she got pregnant, before the marriage. And Jesus in that town would be regarded as an illegitimate product of their sexual union before they were married. I told you I admire Mary, but should we admire Joseph as well? This, this, is, this is a godly, God-fearing man that did what God wanted him to do. One commentator, Craig Keener, commented about Joseph's willingness to obey God in the face of public criticism. And he said, Joseph trusted God enough to obey Him. Yet such obedience was costly. Because Joseph married Mary, outsiders would assume that he had gotten Mary pregnant before the wedding. Joseph would remain an object of shame in a society dominated by the value of honor by waiting to have intercourse, hence failing to provide a bloody sheet that would prove Mary's virginity on their wedding night. Mary and Joseph also chose to embrace shame to preserve the sanctity of God's call. Think about that for a minute. You know, in a Jewish ceremony and wedding, there was a way to prove her virginity. It would have been proven. But because he refused 
to have sexual union with her until Jesus has been born, they were denied that proof. And they lived with the shame. Joseph's obedience to God cost him the right to value his own reputation, Keener said. You know, when I stop to think about that, my admiration for both of them grows. They learned that we can't spend our valuable time always watching out for our public image or our reputation. If people want to criticize us, if people want to take cheap shots at us, you know, we can't stop that. If they want to falsely accuse us of things, we can't stop the false accusations. We can only do what God wants us to do. What they did. And this is a lesson we need to learn. In an age when many accusations are flying around. You know, it's interesting to see how people react to accusations, isn't it? We see a bunch of this in the news right now. All this, this stuff uh, you know, that's flying around about our government leaders and religious leaders and people that maybe we're close to or people we see on the news. Relatively few immediately own up to their transgressions and apologize for their behavior. Very few. They face the consequences without a fight. Most people, a much greater number, get angry. And they begin protesting the wrongs that they've suffered at the hands of their accusers. And they say, of course, you know, I'm innocent. Well, some of them are. And the reaction still comes off kind of odd because like, how can you prove your innocence just by proclaiming your innocence and making the accuser look bad? Many just want to continue the illusion of their innocence as long as they can. And eventually it comes out, they weren't innocent. They just tried to get away with what they were doing. They tried to keep the facade going. And so a question for us this morning, in if we have criticism, if we have false accusations, if we have somebody that is, was uh, poking fun at uh, you know, our beliefs and our values, our standards, how do we respond? How should we respond? Whether the criticism is valid or not. Well, if it's valid, you know, if somebody has something that's found, then, then confess that. Make it right. But if it's not true, how do you live? We discovered that Jesus suffered from false accusations, didn't he? He was often maligned by uh, other Jewish leaders that didn't like him gaining popularity and gaining you know, traction within the Jewish community. He's uh, maligned for being too soft on the law, some of them. You know, let's put him to the test. Let's put this, this person with the withered hand in front of him on the Sabbath. What's he going to do? Because the Sabbath says you don't, you don't work on the Sabbath. That's what the law says. Well, they didn't like it when Jesus went ahead and healed the man. And sometimes they maligned Jesus for being too chummy with sinners, you know, like prostitutes and tax collectors. And, and he would go to dinner with them, and he'd have parties with them, and he would go to their house good Pharisee would never have done those things. In Luke chapter 7, uh, Jesus is, is berating the hypocrit uh, hypocrit hypocritical uh, Pharisees. You know, they're, they're after him. They're saying, we don't like the way you do things. We don't like who you associate with. We don't like the stance that you've taken on that. And in Luke 7, we read this. For John the Baptist came neither eating nor drinking, you know, he, he stayed out in the, the desert and he ate locusts and wild honey. And you say he has a demon. You didn't like what he was doing. And so the Son of Man, that's Jesus, came eating and drinking. And you say, here's a glutton 
and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus said this then, but wisdom is proved right by all her children. Wisdom is doing what is right. That's the best way you have to prove anything. Jesus knew that he'd be wasting his time trying to defend himself, trying to prove that his action was justified. It was best for him to just keep doing what God called him to do, to keep living the life God called him to live, and not worry about his critics or his accusers. So that in time, what he was doing would be found out to be the best course of action. This is the very principle we see taught in Scripture in a number of places. I'm going to point out one of them. That when we are falsely accused, when we are uh, criticized, when we, we are, are uh, refuted, and, and someone says that's not the truth, you can't say that here, that's, that's uh, uh, intolerant and, and homophobic, and whatever other terms they want to throw out there as a label. What do you do? The principle is, not to try to defend yourself. The principle is just keep doing what's right. Keep doing what God says to do. Keep honoring God by the way that you live, and eventually the truth will be found out. Look at 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. One of the best verses on this that I know anywhere. It says, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Okay, So here's the place where you live. Abstain from sinful desires because they're, they're battling against your soul. Live in the right way. Live such good lives, Apostle Peter says, among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that He visits us. That's when Jesus returns. The best thing you can do, now this, this is not proof, that every time just live a good way and people will leave you alone and the accusations will stop and the criticism will stop. But he's saying the best thing you can do is to just keep living a good life. Keep living the life God has called you to live. And in many cases, over time, the truth will come out and God will be glorified through the way you live. I think that's what Mary and Joseph did. I think that's how they answered this dilemma, this, this predicament they found themselves in, this was God's will. This was God's move. This was God's coming to change the world. And He had called them into that. He had asked them to be part of that. They couldn't control public opinion. They would have been wasting their time to go around and, and try to justify why they conducted themselves the way they did and explain her pregnancy to people. It's an inexplainable thing. All they could do was keep doing the right thing and honor God and obey God. So every day, every morning, they got up in a community that knew something about them, thought something that was wrong about them, it was not true. They got up and they just lived for God. They got up and they faced another day. They didn't know the future. God had only given them their next step. Like He gives us. He doesn't tell you your whole life. He doesn't tell you where it's all going to go and what's going to happen and how many children you're going to have and what life is going to be like. He gives you today. And He asks you to trust Him for that day. So that day by day, we need to give God our trust and obedience even when they come at great cost like they did for Mary and Joseph. Even when our circumstances are not what we would have chosen. We must keep doing what is right and good. 
I want to encourage you today, don't try to be a people pleaser. Don't try to keep people happy with your life. That's not your goal. That's not your place. Your place is to keep God happy, to live for God. And if you can get that right, it will change everything. If somebody criticizes you, somebody opposes you, somebody falsely accuses you, you will know the answer to that. You'll already be living in that answer. I'm not trying to please you. I have someone higher than you to please. Others will have expectations that are unreasonable. Sometimes they're false expectations. Sometimes they're they're ungodly expectations. We all have friends that want us to just go along with the crowd and do what everyone else is doing. Why do you have to be different? Why won't you go? Why won't you do this with us? And the only good and right way to live is to live for God. To please Him. And God's expectations are only ones that are true and right and good. So live for Him. Trust and obey Him. You'll never regret it. Even if you have to go through some tough times with people. Take one day at a time and leave the results to God. Let me pray and and let us let this this soak into our hearts today. Uh, Lord, this is a, a difficult assignment. You call us to places we would not have dreamed of. You call us to situations, to relationships that are messy, that are challenging. You call us sometimes to conflict and to criticism and to false accusations. But most of all, you call us just to live for you. You call us to live the right life, the good life that you've called us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his example. Thank you for Mary and Joseph and others who took their stand courageously day after day in spite of opposition, in spite of criticism, in spite of false accusations. And they just live for you. What glory they brought to you, Lord. And what Jesus little boy raised in their household means to us all. Lord, thank you today that you call us and that you use us. Help us to bring glory to you by the way we live every day. In Christ's name, amen.